Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I have a confession to make. Let me hear it. Uh, the only reason that I'm working at ESPN is because my grandparents worked at ESPN and I was able to work the system much like a what? Hungarian skier. To get How, into oh ESPN. my gosh. <laughs> this is only being revealed now that you have a, a doppelganger at the Olympics. Yeah, I felt, I felt after the Hungarian skiers big reveal, and we'll get into this later in the show, uh, that I have to come clean. I, I've simply just worked the system through a lineage to become an ESPN podcaster. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear you detail this path and journey that you've taken. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some free agent, uh, not free agent rentals at the NHL trade deadline. People with some term on their contract and who you might want, who you might not want. Uh, we're going to do some puck headlines. We're going to talk to James Duffy from our friends at TSN in Canada about what it's like to be the ringmaster of the NHL trade deadline. We also have two really good player interviews. JT Brown, who obviously was the lone player to demonstrate during the National Anthem this year. I caught up with him. He was on waivers this year. He's now with the Ducks. And also a really adorable interview with Madison Bowie of the Washington Capitals. Him and his dad together on their dad's trip. Dad's trip. All right. Let's start the show. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to ESPN on ice. It's the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, staff writer. And, uh, thanks for joining us. We're sure most of you are very, very sleepy from wake, from getting up at 2.40 in the morning to catch Olympic hockey if you're on the East Coast. I guess it's a, a bit easier if you're in Chicago, like you are, to catch this Olympic hockey. It is, but then you don't get much sleep when you have to wake up for the 6, 10 a.m. Germany-Switzerland game like I oh, did yeah. on this Tuesday. You know it. And Good I'm thing sure I saw all... Dennis Seidenberg's brother get that game winner. <laughs> I'm sure all of you are very, very just putting it in your veins, taking Olympic hockey and shoving it right in your veins because it's been so scintillating or not. We'll talk about that later on in the podcast. But first up, the NHL trade deadline approaches. Emily and I will be in Bristol. We found out today that we'll have a little slice of heaven, a.k.a. a conference room in <laughs> Bristol for our trade deadline coverage. That's exciting. If there's cookies, it'll be extra exciting. Yeah, well, that's the issue, right? Like, so when I used to do this at Yahoo with Puck Daddy, like, we would take over a conference room in the Yahoo headquarters, and then the food would be a scant few few feet away. Like, we would just go to the commissary and mm. load up on Red Bull and, and, and snacks. But now the problem inside of the buildings at ESPN is that there is not very many snacks. You have to go to the cafeteria proper in order to get sustenance. So maybe we order pizza is what I'm trying to get to. You know what? I'm going to volunteer myself. I volunteer as a tribute to go and make the, the the run to the cafeteria because I think Tuesday's taco day and you had a great taco salad last time we were there. Oh, wow. The regular Katniss ever. You know what? Ever. I'm just selfless. Selfless teammate. <laughs> but that's right. an intangible category. So you've got two categories of people that might be available at this trade deadline. And some of these people might actually be traded by the time you hear this this podcast. Uh, you have your rentals. We already saw Nick Holden move as we do the podcast uh, today uh, from the New York Rangers to the Boston Bruins, giving them a little bit of depth on the left side. Um, we'll probably see many other rentals go as well. But we were talking about this before. Like, I feel you're kind of a pessimist. You're kind of a trade deadline pessimist at this point. Like, I feel like as soon as... You get a Rick Nash or someone of that ilk going. We establish what the cost is for these players. Then the dominoes will all fall. But you happen to believe that it's going to be super quiet at the trade deadline. I feel like I'm a combination between Barry Trott's resentment and Chuck Fletcher's conscience this year. When they saw last year their two big moves to get Martin Hansel and Kevin Shattenkirk, respectively, uh, fizzle. Look, they gave mm. up a ton of assets to get them. The Wild couldn't make it past the first round. The Capitals obviously didn't get off their playoff hump. And both teams are doing just fine, and neither player's on the roster. And right. I think that with recency bias, people are going to look at that and say, is it really worth it to give up this bounty of assets uh, to get a guy who's probably not going to resign with us? But at the same time, maybe you look at your roster and say, I am but one Patrick Maroon away from winning a Stanley Cup. And well, must he's pay, your player who's toxic, right? He's your kryptonite well, that you picked this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we did that bit on on uh, Tuesday on, on ESPN.com, the, the players you want to avoid at the tread deadline. My, my situation with Maroon is just like, you could look at it two ways. 
He's played over 800 minutes, maybe even over 850 minutes with, with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in the last two years. And you and I could probably score at least 10 goals if we played 850 minutes with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. I can barely skate backwards, and I can say that with some confidence. Um, now, that's one way of looking at it. The other way is maybe he has earned the right to play with those players. He was never demoted. And maybe he, based on that and based on his previous play with Ryan Getzlaff with the Ducks, is an elite complementary player uh, to go along with being a rental, to go along with having a very low cap hit, and it would be an asset to acquire for anybody. I tend to err on the side of 850 minutes with Leon Dreisaitl and Conor McDavid. <laughs> I would err on that side as well. So, yeah, there's these guys, obviously, that we've been talking about. Uh, like a Vander Kane, like a Rick Nash, like a Patrick Maroon, I believe, with a expiring contract. They'll be a UFA this summer. But then there's also guys that aren't just rentals, that they have a couple extra years on their deal. And these are the guys we want to talk about because, in my opinion, uh, when I'm not being a negative Nancy, these are the guys that are attractive. Yep. Let's start with Max Petschi Ready. Uh, 29 years old, 4.5 million against the cap, signed for another season beyond this one. You know, it's one of those deals where you just have to kind of climb into the heads of the Montreal brain trust, such as it is, and figure out what they want to do. Like, when you have Carey Price signed in perpetuity, when you have Shea Weber, who's being shut down, coming back next season, you're clearly a team that's positioning itself to try to win in short order. One would assume you'd want Max Patch already around for that, despite having a down year this year. Uh, but at the same time, with the cap hit, with the one extra season, he could bring you a pretty decent bounty going back the other way as well. What do you think they end up doing with him? I think they end up keeping him. I think it's a really precarious situation because Mark Bergevin, as we know, is on the hot seat. Like he's, you know, GMing for his job right now. Uh, so you don't want to do anything drastic. I think trading your captain is super drastic. He's obviously an elite left wing. He could plug in anywhere. I think anyone would pay a premium price to get him. Uh, I just don't think that they want to be that dramatic right now. I think they keep him too, but I also think that of, of all the left wings that are being bandied about, be it, you know, Nash or Kane or Grabner, be it uh, a guy we'll talk about soon, Mike Hoffman, like I feel like Patchy Reddy is, is the game changer. I feel like he's the guy that uh, could actually make you go from being a, a good contender to a, a, an elite contender in some ways, hmm. depending on how he meshes with a, with a, well, if he's on the blues, like I feel like, like with Max Pacioretty <laughs> on the blues, like put him across from, from Tarasenko and watch him fly. Like, I feel oh, like that's, that's the team that fan fiction could, right there. It is fan fiction, but I mean, like at the same time, you look at the blues and, and, and maybe it doesn't work from a cap perspective, but God boy, put him on that, on that team, uh, for the next two years. And, and I think you're doing yourself pretty well versus spending, uh, the rental price on an Evander Kane or a Rick Nash. And in, in my humble opinion, uh, let's stay with the Habs real quick. Uh, Alex Golchenyuk has been a guy who everybody has been uh you know trying to send seal team six up to montreal to liberate him from montreal for for the last few years is he a wing is he a center who cares he should not be in montreal anymore uh apparently available at the trade deadline with a contract that runs two more years at 4.9 million dollars uh per season i i, I tend to be, i don't know what his value is like i feel like there are going to be some teams that look at him and be like yeah I, I could make something out of this guy but i also i feel like there are some teams that are just like what's he going to end up being for me yeah, it's absolutely it. I think he's definitely a risk. And obviously the two years is what's attractive there. It's okay if you really believe in him, you don't have to worry about a, a contract situation for two more summers. Uh, that said, uh, you look at his contract and it's just a shade under $5 million And you can look at it both ways. Like, wow, that's a really good deal for him. Or, wow, he's being way overpaid. So I think this is beauty in the eye of the beholder. I would love to see him be liberated and, you know, uh, you know, free Jack Eichel, free Evander Kane kind of situation, uh, you know, and we're just going to put everyone on the St. Louis Blues and make them a powerhouse. That'd be a great fit for him. Uh, I just don't know. Uh, Jeff Skinner was a name that ended up on our friend Frank Saravelli's trade board on TSN, which was kind of a surprise to me. He's 25. Uh, it makes 5.73 million against the cap. He signed for another season. He has a no move clause, which kind of complicates things. You figure somebody put a bug in Frank's ear for him to put on this list because on a team that is offensively challenged, he seems to not be the problem with 20 goals. Uh, if you could get a Jeff Skinner, I would get a Jeff Skinner. I just don't know what the price would be necessarily. Um, and, and do you expand a trade to maybe include one of those defensemen too and, and really make a blockbuster out of it? I don't know. But were you surprised to see Skinner's name uh, being bandied about considering he seems to be the kind of offensive player that the, the Hurricanes would keep? 
Yeah, and the other reason is that the Hurricanes are still within contention for a playoff spot. Yeah, absolutely. And all we've seen from their new owner, Tom Dundon, is that he's pumping energy into this team. You know, he's doing all the right things to get fans in Carolina to come, to care. And so to get rid of a player who's really popular, like Jeff Skinner, our former first-round pick, uh, that that would be pretty shocking. Um, he has a no-movement clause, so I think he'd have to waive that. Yeah, it's very true. Um Ryan McDonough is the next name we want to bring up, and it was funny. You know, you hear Boston trading for mm-hmm. Rangers defenseman today. I think Rangers fans might have perked up their ears for a second, but no, it's not Ryan McDonough. It is, in fact, uh, Nick Holden going to the Bruins. Uh, so McDonough's 28. He signed for another year. He's got some trade protection on his contract, 4.7 against the cap. I still tend to believe that uh, he is like a Max Pacioretty, a last piece of the puzzle guy. You stick him on a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, for example, and uh, and and watch them go. Uh, Steve Eiserman, I thought I saw the other day, mentioned to Joe Smith from the Tampa Times that uh, he's not really keen on trading first-round picks. That's obviously what's going to have to go back the other way to the Rangers to get a Ryan McDonough. This is one of those overpayments that I'd make. I like McDonough a lot. He's not had a good season, but then again, he's on the Rangers, so who has? Has had a good season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really do feel like on the in the right lineup, this guy could could solidify your back end and bring you uh, exponentially closer to winning a cup. And if that team is Tampa, then I think they've done well for themselves. Speaking of Tampa, you know everyone's talking about them as being a buyer, and maybe he doesn't want to give up a first round pick, but they have a lot of other assets. I mean, he could turn Nemestikov, who has to go to you know salary arbitration next year, uh, to another team, and really has just benefited from being on a great line. I'm not sure um, his numbers are as true to his skill this year. Uh, so, and they have they have a ton that they can give up um, to make these deals. But with Ryan McDonough, obviously everyone was linking him to Boston. Uh, that would be a perfect fit. And he's the only guy on this list that I see besides Eric Carlson, who I'm not um, convinced is going to be moved. I really am not. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the only defenseman that I'm like, throw the horse, the pony, the the first burn child, like get this guy. <laughs> like he, you, I, I think he really is that big of a difference maker. It's just a steady defenseman, which is so hard. A steady top top pairing defenseman. I mean, I, I mean, if you if you throw in the pony and the horse, then what yeah. do you have? I mean, what do you have left to ride then? You, you, no, you just have some sheep. Nothing's pulling plows. You got sheep. You're not, you're not being, you can't even get to town anymore without yeah. a horse. And the over. firstborn who was going to help you right. somehow. Now you've, you now you've traded, this. you've traded away anyone who could pull a plow and a child that will eventually be able to drive the tractor. It is, it is. the Stanley Cup finals. That's well, you know, exactly <laughs> you have no right. way then, to get into the games. Then, then you're all in. Uh, yeah. I do love the, you see, this is why you're the best is because you're like, you look at the best <laughs> line in hockey and you look at, at, at the mess, the mess golf and you're just like, Oh, replaceable. Upgra- hit the upgrade button. <laughs> let me, let me upgrade you. That's, that's all they got to do. Um, no, I, 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 I think. I think we're spot on with that McDonald's stuff. Uh, let's go to your neck of the woods, Brandon Saad. I, I don't tend to believe the Blackhawks are going to deal him, uh, mainly because could you imagine trying to tell your fan base that's already pissed at you? Oh, yeah, remember the Panarin guy we traded? Well, now the guy that we got for him, he, we're going to trade him to. Like, I feel like that's a really hard sell to the Blackhawks fans at this point, but I also think that they want to keep him around. I mean, there's a reason they acquired the guy, uh, is, is to bring him back in the fold and, and hope that he can find his offensive game. And, and I just don't think at this point that they're going to flip him. I don't either. And I don't think it's as much as Stan Bowman admitting mistake as it is. Here's a 25 year old guy who's just having an off year. A lot of people there are having an off year. If you, if you turn him now and you, you give him to another team, you're selling really low. This is not his best value. If you really don't Good believe point. in him, I think you can, um, I think you can find, you know, a better time to deal him. And I think he's going to find his footing. But uh, Mark Lazarus told us that last week and, and I stand by it. It's just, it, it wouldn't be much value to them. Six million against the cap until 2021, by the way, on Saad. So yeah, you'd be, you'd be dealing for a guy who's in sort of a downswing, uh, and, uh, and makes a lot of dough, uh, to boot. Uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Now, this is an interesting one. This is a name that's been bandied about uh, in relation to the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins at one point, looking at him as a possible uh, addition in their bottom six, a guy who could obviously play uh, top six minutes as well. Ottawa Senators center, 25 years old, signed for four more years at $3.1 million against the cap. Obviously, uh, Eugene Melnick is everything must go. He's crazy Eugene. Everything is going out the door. Uh, slashing prices left and right. Uh, this guy has a lot of value, not only uh, in his versatility, but also in what Pajot can do in the postseason as a proven scorer based on the run that they had last year. 
I tend to believe at 25, at 3.1 against the cap, he's going to stick around. But what do you say about J.G. Peugeot? Well, I'm going to lump him with another player we wanted to talk about, and that's Derek Broussard. And what's interesting about those two is they're really the only centers on the market right now. Um, it's obviously such a highly valued position in the NHL. If you have great centers and you have a great team, uh, these are more of depth centers. Broussard, you could, you could say is probably, you know, a top six forward. But, um, the fact that there, it's a low, you know, the commodity, it's a high commodity and there's low, you know, stock available. Yeah. That would drive up the price for them. Also with goalies this year, uh, you saw, you know, what we're going to talk about a little later, but the Flyers really paid nothing to get a, a new goalie, uh, mm-hmm. because there's so many backups that are on the market right now. So that leads me to believe that either Peugeot or Broussard is going to move just because I think the uh, senators are going to be able to reap a lot of benefits. The first time I realized the economics of, of the world about supply and demand was when my parents had to pay a lot of money to get my sister a Teddy Ruxpin when she was a little kid. And I realized it's because there weren't a lot of Teddy Ruxpins to buy. So the one that they found had, had a markup price on it. And that was my first economic lesson. Did I learn anything from that point on about economics? No. I cheated my butt off in college. Uh, sorry, University of Maryland. Thanks for the degree. Uh, we, we hit Broussard. He uh, has uh, one year left at five million against the cap. I, I love him. I think he's going to I think he's going to move um, without question I, I, I just wonder where I, at the end of the day we might be asking ourselves what the senators are going to pick up salary wise I know that a team like the the Pittsburgh Penguins to go back to them again uh, has been talked about as being a potential destination for, for Broussard I think that well, they brilliant... saw him beat them up for so many years with the Rangers yeah yeah, he'd be a brilliant addition to that lineup, and uh, they just have to make the money work somehow. So Broussard, to me, is definitely on the move for sure. Uh, Mike Hoffman, this is a guy who's been talked about for a long time. The latest on him, according to some inside information, is that they're looking to maybe hang on to him. He's got trade protection two years left at $5.19 million. For God's sakes, someone's going to have to play with Matt Duchesne, and I think it's going to end up being Mike Hoffman. I think he stays. I agree. Getting rapid fire mode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that brings us to the big enchilada, the one we've all been waiting for, Eric Carlson. So the news this morning being bandied about the Twitterverse was that teams were going to go to the Ottawa Senators and pitch them on Eric Carlson trade scenarios. Uh, Pierre Dorian, their GM, is not shopping Eric Carlson, but he's listening. If you come in and say, hey, I see you've got a bright, shiny, slightly used Eric Carlson, what can I do to get him? And then Pierre Dorian will probably say, you need to take this completely used Bobby Ryan (laughs) along with him. And that money is off our cap. Uh, I think this is a deal that will, I mean, listen, it's gotten to the point. The drumbeat is loud enough where I think we're both thinking that Eric Carlson is going to be traded. I can't imagine it's at the deadline. But I feel like money-wise, to make this work, there has to be so many moving parts for a team that's up against the cap to get Eric Carlson in. Uh, that, that, that's what makes it hard for me to believe that there, that he's going to be moved to the deadline. But I can believe that a team like Tampa Bay that feels like they are <laughs> so close to a cup, uh, is going to do whatever it takes to get us a, a player of this ilk on their roster. I just don't know if, if right now is the point in which the money works. Yeah. Well, what's hilarious to me is my favorite thing is how GMs couch themselves here, where a rumor comes out that they're listening to trade deals like, we're not actively shopping him. We're just listening. Like that happened with Max Domi and the Coyotes. They're not actively shopping him. They're right. just listening. Like that means that he's available. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Eric Carlson is available. I think you're right. I mean, what we're going to talk about this later on ESPN.com this week, but what is the price for him? I mean, it's beyond just the horse, the pony and the firstborn. Like it's like your neighbor's stable of horses too. Like can you afford that? Do you even have access to your neighbor's stable of horses? I don't know. I don't think Eugene Melnick does. So that's the question I have. Or, and it's not just Melnick. Melnick obviously wants those horses. It's just what team has them? Is the Iserman? I don't know. Again, I do, I do appreciate you uh, in the uh, NHL centennial season, uh, going back to when the, they used to trade livestock for players, which I believe was how they used to handle the salary cap back in, in 1917. I don't have any uh, vibranium. I don't have special tools. Which is all I got. <laughs> Oh, stay tuned for Wakanda Girl over here, giving her Black Panther review. Wakanda forever. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Eric Carlson will be dealt, but probably not now. All right, with that, it's time for our extra attacker. Joining us now on the line is James Duffy of TSN, the man who is the ringmaster of all of the trade deadline fun on an annual basis. And thank you for joining me and Emily here on ESPN and Ice. As a ringmaster is a appropriate term, I beat my animals. 
Very controversial. <laughs> Whip them if they don't come up with enough trades. You wear a tuxedo. It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, you are also the host of the Rubber Boots podcast. Tell me the name of the Rubber Boots podcast. Oh, the name? Yeah. You want to open that can of worms? <laughs> Which, uh, okay, I'll give you the two-minute version. I, I, I began my career in Ottawa, local TV station in, the, in Canada's capital, where I was the local sportscaster. And not dating my age, but uh, it was a time pre-internet where people would actually call the station to get scores of games. Whoa. Like our, our, our number was in the phone book, remember those? And mm-hmm. people would phone and no. ask for scores of games. Things weren't on TV. It was back in the days where, you know, there'd be only one hockey game or two hockey games on a week and ditto with baseball. And so all these people would call me every night while I was putting together my sports cast. But one night the phone rings and this guy, uh, I pick up the phone and this guy says, Hey, how are you? Are you wearing your wubble boots tonight? And I said, what? He said, are you wearing your wubble boots tonight? And I was, in, I was in like a pissy mood. And I said, look, buddy, are you looking for a score or what? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Cubs, the Cubs. I'm like, the Cubs aren't even playing. And I hung up on him. <laughs> so then next night he calls back and same thing. And then as he's hanging up, he, he says, oh, one more question. Do you, do you like the dunk tank? I'm like, what? The dunk tank at the fair. I'm like, the dunk tank at the fair? So anyway, long story, I hung up on him for about two weeks, and then I was bored one night and had nothing to do. And he said, you wearing your wubble boots tonight? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And he goes, oh, what color? I said, I'm wearing my blue ones, blue ones tonight. And he goes, oh, could you put them up on the desk for me tonight? And I said, yes, I will. I will put my rubber boots up on the desk while I'm doing the sports cast. Anyway, this dance went on for about two years, and... Um, so I, I ended up writing about him in my book and told that story a couple of times elsewhere. And on Twitter, people started harassing me every day, saying, are you wearing your rubber boots? And so when I started the podcast a year ago, uh, there was an overflow of people demanding that I call it that, which is really a horrible name, because who the hell is going to listen? If you don't know that story, who the hell is going to listen to something called the Rubber Boots Podcast? I, I just find that story amazing, because if that, if that happened in 2018, like how quickly would you have muted him on Twitter? <laughs> oh, I know. The guy, the guy would have no shot, but he got hours of my time back then. We would have heart and soul conversations. Did you anyway. ever get his identity or meet him? No, and the, the funny thing is, Emily, is that when I told this story again, on, I guess on my pod on the first episode when we launched it, I had a bunch of people write me uh, that said that he was uh, well-known at some call center in Canada. Okay. So that he had called them every night, and there was tons of reports on him. That he would so it, apparently it wasn't just me that he would call that he would call lots of people anybody he could get on the line and ask them if they were wearing the rubber boots. So you know I, I was kind of wishing he'd reach out somehow if he's still alive. Uh, I although need I don't a New Yorker really profile know on I, him. Yeah, I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> yeah, he's more like a you know an episode. He's like he's, I'm sure he was a serial killer or something, but it was fun <laughs> while it lasted. It might have been. That's all right, though. I mean, I, hey, listen, I'm sure the Zodiac called in to talk about the uh, San Francisco Giants now and again at some point. Uh, the uh, So, okay, how many years is this you host in Trade Deadline? Oh, Greg, uh, when did we get the rights back before we lost the rights, before we got them? No, sorry. Uh, 2002, I think, was when I started hosting hockey. So my first trade trade deadline would have been February or March of 2003, so 15 what? years or so. What would you say are the are the biggest the biggest changes? I mean, I, I imagine social media would be one of them. But like, what are the other? Uh, and also, they don't use Blackberries anymore. That's another big change. But what are the <laughs> other major changes that have uh, occurred on the broadcast in that time? Yeah, social media would be one in the way that you know information comes out. It's more of a Twitter day than anything else. I think, uh, although people still watch, which is strange. Um, I would say the biggest thing really is just that trades don't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because back in the day, you would still get blockbusters that would happen on the deadline. Right. And I, I think especially in the last few years, the general managers have, I don't know if smarten up is the word, because I wish they wouldn't. I wish they would wait longer, and maybe we have hope this year. But I, to me, if there was a, a turning point, it may have been the Ryan Smith trade from Edmonton to the Islanders in whatever year that was, uh, because that came right down to the deadline. Ryan Smith didn't really want to leave Edmonton. The Oilers didn't really want to trade him, but it got down to the end and everybody panicked and the deal happened just before three o'clock. 
And, and I really think, this is a very unscientific, by the way, it's just my thought, is that a lot of GMs took a step back after that day and said, I don't want that to be me. If I have a valuable asset, I'm not waiting and getting pressured into making a mistake. And so the majority of the bigger deals happen a week before, two weeks before, four days before. And we don't often see big players get traded on that day. So that's probably the most, the biggest development, I would say, and the most disappointing one <laughs> for me. So I'd love to know what you feel the vibe is this year. I'm a negative Nancy. I think we hear all of these big names and it's just going to go in like a lion and out like a lamb and no one's going to get moved. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think? You're probably right. I, I have learned to temper my expectations. Uh, temper is probably not even the right word. Eliminate my expectations. Okay. I, I don't have any whatsoever. And that I came to peace. I used to really not panic, but I just got this sick pit in my stomach the week before the deadline out of fear that nothing would happen and what would we do. And now I've, I've had about five years where we've had nothing to do and we find, somehow find a way to get through. Tell and the rubber so, duck story again. Rubber yeah, rubber exactly. <laughs> and so when you expect nothing, I think it's okay. And so I, you know, usually there are trades and there's enough to talk about and, you know, we'll, we'll find a way. I, I sort of turn it into just a, a day where you sit around and you talk hockey with 10, 15 guys that are pretty knowledgeable about it. And so when you think about it that way, I think it makes it a lot less stressful. I would say this, though. Uh, the, usually, over the last five years, there's always a day, usually about two weeks before the deadline on a Friday or something, where a fairly big name gets traded, and then two or three or four deals follow. And, you know, maybe by the time you put this podcast up, that'll all have already happened. But it hasn't <laughs> happened as we speak, unless you you got breaking news for me that I don't want to no. know. We, we, we don't, uh, yeah. but, so it, but we, it we hasn't happened yet. Happening. So that, yeah. <laughs> that gives me hope. Even if you can get to the weekend, even if you can get to Saturday or Sunday, those deals are still fresh enough that we can talk about them for a while without them being stale. So I have hope this year. I think one of the more amazing things about the TSN uh, trade deadline show, and in full disclosure, I was on Sportsnets for a couple years, uh, do, 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 doing doing the oh my God, there's nothing happening, let's let the blogger talk uh, segments. <laughs> um, I think the most amazing thing is how many people over the years, how many players have found out about their fate yeah. by watching Trade Center. I mean, that's that's yeah. got to be incredible to you. Yeah, I mean, that's more of a testament to those guys, to McKenzie and Drager and LeBron who do the, to you know, carry much of the load with all that on, on trade deadline day and how good they are. And Elliot on the other side and Chris Johnson are both very good at what they do as well. Um, I just, I, I think the one, the most recent one was Chris Stewart, who, if memory serves correct, it's all a blur to me now, uh, went from Buffalo to Minnesota. And, you know, I just hear in my ear from the producer, okay, we have Chris Stewart on the line. He's been traded to Minnesota. Okay, no problem. Uh, Chris, uh, what do you think? And he goes, about what? Uh, he goes, yeah, you, we, you've been traded. He goes, yeah, where? And I said, okay, this is awkward. <laughs> and, you know, there's part of me, and, and we all laughed too, and then I, I felt a little bit guilty. I, I got in a little, uh, Steve Eisman and I went at it a couple of years ago over a couple of things, but one of them was that he, you know, he didn't like the idea that we're laughing and joking when people's lives are being altered. And he's right to an extent. And I, I wouldn't laugh if the player wasn't, wasn't laughing along with me. And you do have to remember that lives are being you know, changed and kids are being pulled out of schools. And, and I, I get that. And I try to think of, as I've interviewing players on the day, I, I try to remember that, that it might be a game for us and just numbers, but they are lives that are being changed. But you can't help but giggle a little bit when a player has no idea. Uh, and I think, again, that's just how fast the information travels now. You know, one of my favorite McKenzie stories in the early days of trade deadline is he – you know, you'll have these war rooms, and so I don't know who his source is. Let's say it's an assistant GM. So he's, you know, texting Bob that a trade's going down while the GM's still on the line with the other GM. <laughs> so you got two GMs going, okay, I give you I give you Rob and a second rounder, and you give me Bill and a third rounder. Okay, sounds good. And they're still chatting for 10 seconds. The assistant GM texts it to Bob. Bob has it on the air. And so you imagine these two GMs who are still on the phone and their deal appears on a on a screen on a font on TSN, <laughs> and you're going, what the you know? They just and must so assume that, they that, have their that continually amazes me. 
Yeah. <laughs> they definitely have their phones bugged. I always, I always <laughs> wanted there to be more espionage in hockey. Like I always wanted to do a thing where I take one of those, um, uh, giant sort of like a, a satellite dish looking things with the microphone on the end of it, like those spy microphones and just pointed at right. GMs on the draft floor at the NHL draft. I've always figured I could do that, but maybe, maybe oh, it would probably be so get good. I, you, we, we usually, uh, when we had the rights to the draft, we'd always mic somebody up and those would be some of our greatest things, but I think GMs would get caught on, <laughs> you know, they, most of them don't like doing that. I've always thought, and I'm sure you've suggested this before, Greg, cause you have a ton of original ideas that you, I wish Trade Center could be like that. That somehow we could get every have a you know ban trades for a week, like the Christmas freeze. Get all the GMs and together in one room, and boom, make it a, a that would be a heck of a ten hour TV show. Just but make it, yeah, make it, a, it, make it a market in Marrakesh. Just have them all in one giant place, <laughs> and uh, and they're all trading their wares. And it'd be the, it'd be super fun, uh, but again, that would be amazing. But hockey's you, as you know full well, is it's just so damn conservative that they move at a snail's pace, and uh, and even free agency would be great like that if you could extend it to the day after the draft, you know, and just they're all in the same city anyway. But it just they'll never do it. Uh, last one for me, James, is uh, what is your day like? Like like I, how much? When does when does trade deadline prep start for you? I guess that'd be more like what's your week or month like. But in the day, in the actual day, what time are you get in there, and uh, right. and and what's your prep on that on that day like? Well, it's funny. I I used to prep like it was my law exams. I'd know every single player and every single contract, and then I realized it was just fruitless because you never know what's going to happen. So I, I basically don't prep at all anymore, which is a lot more fun. I listen to Bob's <laughs> podcast. That's my prep now. Um, <laughs> But it's true. Like you just, I, I feel like you're prepped like anything in hockey. You watch enough games, you listen all year, you talk to your boys, you have a pretty good idea what's going on. Uh, the day is, I sleep at this hotel that's about a, a mile from the station because I'm too far in and Toronto traffic is nuts. And uh, I get up at 6 a.m. or something. There's this little buffet that I eat there. I won't name its name. And I trot into work at 6.30 and uh, sit at the desk and off we go, basically. And yeah, I, I think I find myself doing less and less every year and preparing for it, which might be a sign of my general laziness. But also a sign is I just think I've done it so many times. And there's only so much prep you can actually do. Because besides the rumors, you know, you have to know what you need to know about Rick Nash and his contract and this kind of stuff. But besides that, you don't know who's going where. I mean, I, I can remember probably the worst deadline about four years ago when it really started to tail off, we had no trades. And the first trade was a minor league deal. <laughs> I can't remember the two teams, Chicago and somebody. Maxime Sauvé for Rob Flick. And God. unless you've studied, like, for days and weeks, you know, I don't know who those guys are. And so <laughs> I, I, we, Rob Flick was on the phone. We had a phoner with him. That was our first phoner of the day. And I think my first question was, Rob, um, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just the way it is. I, I just kind of roll with it. And uh, honestly, uh, it, it, the only hard part for me is talking for nine hours and not sounding like an idiot, whereas I, uh, the analysts have to make coherent, smart thoughts, and the insiders have to be glued to their phones. So I, I think besides the talking nonstop, I, I don't have the hardest job. Indeed. Uh, James Duffy, thank you so much for joining us. And everybody do check out the TSN uh, trade deadline coverage, uh, by any means necessary, if you're in the United States. And uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll be watching you, man. You're, you guys put on an amazing show even when you don't have uh, animals, live animals on stage. <laughs> I've gone to my bosses for years saying, you know, well, let's be realistic. Go to the other guys and say, you know, let's go on at noon and form some sort of truce. But the the ratings are always high, which makes me think that – all our watchers are sick freaks who just like the rubbernecked action scenes because they know nothing's going to happen, but they want to see us squirm. So appreciate you watching. There you go. Thanks, James. Okay, Thank guys, you. take it easy. James Duffy of TSN, do uh, check him out, and uh, and it's always an amazing show. They put on a great show. I can say that now that I don't work at Sportsnet anymore. They put on a great show at TSN, and there's always something uh, new and exciting happening. Uh, Emily uh, James was like, hey, what if there's breaking news during this podcast? Wouldn't that be crazy? There kind of is, but not a trade. Uh, March 1st is the date for the Seattle, potential Seattle expansion team to start selling season tickets. 
$500 per ticket for season tickets, $1,000 per ticket for club season tickets. Um, and that is the deposit to try to show the viability of a market that the NHL clearly already feels is viable. So this is all perfunctory. And in case you're wondering, because you're here, you know, we'll talk about it later, but you're really into the uh, semantics and, and fine line of the email here. They are refundable deposits. They don't get it. Thank change. goodness. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks to James Duffy. And uh, we'll be back right after this. I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love, and it's there whenever I need it. I never thought I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. And we're back on ESPN and Ice, Greg and Emily. And Emily, you had a chance to talk to JT Brown this week. Yeah, I caught up with JT. We had talked a little bit over the summer. It's the first time I met him in person. And obviously he's known as the play, the only player to uh, demonstrate during the national anthem this year. But he's a really thoughtful guy. He only did it for one game and he stopped doing it because he wanted to do other things in the community that he felt were important, which we talk about. But the first question I asked him is he had a crazy year. He was put on waivers by the Lightning and ended up with the Ducks. So I asked him, what are the differences he's noticed from being in the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference? Yeah, I mean, you notice it just even playing against the Western Conference teams, uh, you know, when I was in the East. But you definitely notice there's a few differences, uh, say, physicality is a little, it's probably one of them. I feel like uh, the Western Conference plays with a little more grit and Eastern Conference tries to be up-tempo fast. Uh, but, I mean, I'm like, I like playing either way. What about the travel? Um, the travel's been interesting. I think time zones are a little different going from west or back to east and then coming back. And I think that's probably the hardest thing, even just going back right away from Tampa. You know, those three hours doesn't seem like much, but uh, when you start getting into games and trying to get a routine back, uh, it's kind of hard when uh, you have that big of a time difference. So... A lot of people, I've been thinking about this a lot lately with like P.K. Subban when he went from Montreal to Nashville and Kyle Turris, and they got really involved with organizations and their communities there, and then you leave, and then it's like, well, what happens? And they kind of try to stay involved, but you also try to start something new in your new community. You were so involved in Tampa. Like, how have you been able to navigate that or think about how you can stay involved there or just start something new in Anaheim? Um, you know, that's that's a really good question. It's, it's kind of a hard uh, situation. You obviously want to be a part of your new community as well but you also don't want to forget uh, you know what you've put in and what you've done for so long in the first community like in Tampa or like you said in Montreal for PK um, but at the same time you know you're trying to move to the next steps and try to make sure that you're doing the right things in the community that you're in but I won't ever forget Tampa and I hopefully they won't forget uh, me as well. What did you learn the most from your work with the police department there? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, I mean, I, I created a friend in the police chief now, and, you know, just, you know, even when we were traded, or not traded, but on waivers, I mean, he was the first one to text me and so, say, hey, if your wife needs anything, you know, here's give her my number. That's awesome. And if she ever needs anything while she's still here, just tell her to call me. So, you know, to be able to create that kind of a friendship with uh, the police chief as well as be able to see firsthand, you know, their line of work. Obviously, there was the serial killer that was in Tampa and being able to go out, you know, during a heightened alert time, you know, in the area where, you know, these uh, murders were taking place. But, you know, to kind of see firsthand what they're going through and kind of, you know, just be able to relate to them and be able to have a normal conversation kind of like we're having and not necessarily have it be about, you know, the protest or what was going on, um, but just to, to just to chat. kind of human being learning about what each other do. Exactly. So isn't it funny that you've now become like the go-to person for all gaming questions? <laughs> I don't mind it. I, I mean, that's that's a huge passion for myself. So the NHL is trying to start this eSports league. Firstly, do you think you'll participate or other gamers in the league? Um, yeah, I've, I kind of talked to them a little bit uh, a while back, and that was mentioned as well. I mean, I don't think I'm going to win uh, the tournament, but uh, I, I would enjoy playing. What do you think they need to do to make it successful? Um... I think the biggest thing is just, you know, getting it right the first time and making sure that the the format is set up correctly, make sure that there's no, I don't know, it's hard to 
explain, but like there's no lag and there's no, like, how are we going to deal with if someone's internet or if different internet capabilities, where is it going to be? All the rules need to be kind of set and make sure it goes uh, fluid the first time so they can have a second one. So obviously you got a lot of attention for being the only NHL player who demonstrated during the anthem. Have you considered at all protesting again or would you protest again? Would I? Yeah, of course. If I mean, I have to be passionate enough about something, you know, obviously for that to happen. I don't have plans to do anything in the future, but I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what issues are going to be brought uh, to light and, you know, what's going to impact me and impact my family. A lot of people were really concerned when you and your wife both came out and said that you did receive some pretty negative things from fans. Do you still receive those? Um, you still get some negative things every now and then, but I think you don't get to where we are now without having some sort of negativity. Obviously, a lot of it's on the Internet, and you don't know who's sending it. You don't know if they're legitimate or if they're 10 years old, you know, just tweeting out things or saying things over the Internet. So you kind of try to take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, obviously threats on life are a little bit different but you know we get every game if you look at each person's twitter you do something wrong in a game uh you're gonna have some negative things hockey is for everyone month uh we talk a lot about inclusiveness and one of the things i thought was interesting when we talked over the summer is you said that you never felt like you had any racism or never felt included on teams since like you were back in high school it's been a while do you feel like the nhl is an inclusive league um yeah i mean i feel like like you said when you go to different teams there's no everyone is not everyone doesn't care you know they don't care whether you're black white you're from sweden you're it doesn't matter where you are um so i think at least from that standpoint yes everything's inclusive but for me i haven't really i feel like everyone's grown up and everybody understands we're all here for the same purpose we're all here to win so like i said they don't care where you're from who you are what's your background religious it doesn't matter how do you think we can grow cocky in this country where more people are playing I mean, I think it's more, a lot of it's grassroots programs. Uh, I think the hardest thing is hockey is an expensive sport. It's not something as easy that you can pick up as basketball, football, soccer, soccer in baseball, where, I mean, for the most part, you get, like, your pads uh, growing up were from the association. You get to play, all you had to do was pay the registration fee. If you want to go play basketball, you could head to Walmart, Target, and pick up a basketball and go to your local gym. So it's not as easy with hockey especially in say warmer climates where they don't have the ice in minnesota yeah you could get a pair of skates and go skate on the pond to practice and to get better and to you know enjoy the sport more um ice time's expensive uh, equipment's expensive so different things that the leagues are doing and teams are doing with you know giving out gear setting up programs to teach people how to skate uh, at an earlier age um I think those are all key things because it is such an expensive sport, and if you can't get more people and more diverse uh, communities involved, it's going to be hard to just grow. So thank you to JT for his time, and I've got another interview for you this week from Chicago. The Washington Capitals were in town, and it was their dad's trip, and I just want to know a little bit more about the experience, and the Capitals set me up with Madison Bowie, who is a young rookie defenseman, and his dad. And it was a pretty adorable conversation. But what I learned is that Madison's dad had a crazy story of how he missed Madison's debut this year. So uh, what happened is that, of course, Madison was called up, I think, within, what was it, 24 hours or 12 hours or something yeah, like that? Quick, quick turnaround. Really turn, quick turnaround. So we tried to arrange for me to fly in because the goal was for us or me to watch his first NHL hockey game. And then I just got held up in New York, uh, so I didn't make the game, but didn't even get a chance to watch it either, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> Where were you? Were you in the air? No, I was, uh, the plane landed late at JFK. Okay. And what happened was uh, I had a car booked, but then because I ran in, ran in late, they gave my car away. Oh, no. So, uh, <laughs> this is so sad. Yeah, so, so um, uh, the, the car that was available was too expensive for me, so I tried to figure out if I could uh, actually add a little bit more onto my credit card that day because I did make a payment, and then the payment didn't go through, so I couldn't get the car that was a little bit more, and so I didn't make it there. Yeah. So your dad was talking a little bit about growing up playing hockey, and it was a lot different back then. I think, you know, now there are there's more diversity in the league, and you didn't have that. Do you have a chance to kind of appreciate of the progress that you've made? 
Oh, for sure. I think, obviously, William Reed was a guy that inspired all of us African-Americans and African-Canadians, I think, uh, growing up. But I think, obviously, without him, we wouldn't be here where we are today, or at least it would have definitely taken a, a few years to, to get where we are today. So I think, um, obviously, it was a lot tougher when my dad was growing up, but um, it, it came a long way, and I think it, it still can, can develop and still improve, and I think that's what all the goals are for myself and all the other African-Canadians or Americans playing in this in this league right now is to make it more diverse. I think obviously the league is, as you see, there's a lot more women playing, there's a lot more different cultures playing, and I think all over the world this is starting to, to get, a, get a hold of the game. And obviously this game is very special, and it's a great way of bringing people together. And I think obviously this this sport, is, that's been the name of the game, is, is uh, having fun and, and making sure that everyone can play. So I think um, it's been it's been great, and I think it just has to keep improving as we go on. Willie O'Ree is someone you brought up to him a lot, right? Yeah, well, when I was younger, I uh, wanted to be a professional hockey player. And uh, so I went, I was, what, what, 10 years old, and I spoke to my principal. And I said to him, I'm going to be the first black NHL hockey player. And he said, well, someone beat you already. <laughs> and he said, it's Willie O'Ree. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he became my mentor, my hero. Uh, and even though I haven't met him, but he's always been an inspiration for me and for Madison. Not to get too sappy, but Madison, like, what's one memory or lesson that you've learned from your father that really sticks with you? I think just respect the game um, as much as you can and, and never lose the love and, and the fun in the game, I think. One thing growing up was my dad always wanted to make sure, obviously winning, and, and I'm a pretty competitive guy, and that's the the main focus, but I think the biggest goal my dad taught me is to always have fun, and I think once that fun kind of runs out, I think that's when you lose the love of the game, so I think obviously for me growing up, I think playing in the backyard, my dad always built the backyard rink, and so I think that for me is where I found the love and the passion for the game, and uh, ever since then, I don't think I've ever taken my mind off it, and it's, uh, was it, it's a dream come true this year playing here, and um, in the NHL, and I think it's definitely a uh, been a lot of fun and uh, very special, and uh, I just can't wait to keep going. What surprised you about the Washington Capitals locker room? I, there's a lot of personalities. You saw Alex Ovechkin right there. He's kind of a uber. He's a goofball. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 he's certainly a unique hockey player, that's for sure. And one thing I found is that you've got players that from Russia, from Sweden, from very diverse room. And uh, to see uh, the players have such a great time on the ice and have, you know, I say the fun aspect on the ice. Uh, and then to see the parents and the dads, you, you know that there's a correlation. And uh, to be part of that is just, just awesome. So I'm, you know, as far as for the dads, um, I'm just love being with these guys. Our thanks to JT Brown and Madison Bowie for uh And Madison us. Bowie's dad. And Madison Bowie's dad for joining us here on ESPN and Ice. Uh, it's probably time for us to uh, bring into this discussion uh, the racial side of the National Hockey League, the unfortunate racial side, the unfortunate racial incident that happened over the weekend, meaning, of course, the incident in Chicago where uh, four Chicago Blackhawks fans were ejected from their game against the Washington Capitals and subsequently banned from United Center uh, after uh, a few of them chanted basketball, basketball, basketball at Devontae, at Devontae Smith-Pelly while he was in the penalty box. Smith-Pelly, of course, is black. Uh, it's something that he actually heard when he was a junior player as well, someone screaming, uh, why don't you go play basketball instead? Uh, so this is something that's followed him through his career. And uh, apologies all around. Apologies from the Blackhawks. Apologies from the National Hockey League. Apologies from uh, everybody involved in what was a, a really just disgusting incident and uh, and handled swiftly by the Blackhawks. Before we talk about those four fans, I just want to make a point. And I wasn't at that game, but this was obviously the game that Madison played in. I spoke to him the day before and spoke to JT a couple days before that. And it just dawned on me this stark contrast that we have where we have come a long way uh, with race and sports and, and these guys, you know, breaking into the league. And for the most part, as JT talks about, players are kind to one another. I think part of it plays into hockey culture where they just want a hockey player to be a hockey player. And JT says it. I do think there's a difference, though, with these isolated incidents um, with fans. And it's really unfortunate um, what we do, you know, obviously find solace in is that the NHL and the Blackhawks acted swiftly, as well as the United Center. That said, it's just disgusting that we're still talking about this. It is. And, I mean, in covering this this uh, league and this sport for 
as long as I have. I mean, there's been incidences where, you know, someone threw a banana at Wayne Simmons and, and right. just, I mean, it's like, it's like we talked about with the Kid Rock stuff, you know, last month. It's like you're, you, you grow so tired of having to apologize for your sport and apologize for the demographics of your sport and, and apologize for, uh, all of this stuff. And, you know, when fans do this, it makes it harder for all of us. It makes it harder for that black kid in the United States who maybe his friends don't play hockey, but he kind of digs the sport and he's wondering whether or not the, the sport's for him. It, it, it sucks for him because now all of a sudden he's like, Oh God, well, why would I want to subject myself to that? If that's, right. if that's, if this is the culture around this game, um, it does nothing to broaden the tent. It does nothing to bring more people to hockey. It's repellent. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm happy the Blackhawks handled it the way they did. It did open up another conversation though that I wanted to mention here on the podcast. And I got some points here. Yeah. I would love it. to because I, so the four people that were kicked out of the game and banned from the arena, the, the question I had for the Blackhawks was, were these the season ticket holders? This was rows one and two in like section 121, I think it was by Crazy the penalty tickets. box. And those are some premium tickets, man, up against the glass. Uh, were these the season ticket holders? Were these tickets the season ticket holders, uh, gave to friends? Were these ticket tickets the season ticket holders sold through the Blackhawks official ticket master secondary, secondary market or sold through places like SeatGeek or StubHub? And the bigger discussion that happened this week that I thought was fascinating was when I bought this up, a lot of people were like, if I sell my tickets, they're not, they're gone. They're, it's no longer my responsibility who sits in those seats that uh, I am the season ticket holder for. People were likening it to if you rent a car, is Avis responsible? If you run over somebody, I'm like, no, because you sign a contract with Avis that says you're not responsible if I run over somebody. I liken it to this. If, if, if Airbnb worked as a situation where I put my apartment in a blind pool of apartments and mm-hmm. then someone gets it and then they come and be in my apartment, and they unfurl on the front of my building a giant banner that says, no blacks should play hockey. They should only play basketball. And it gets attention. Will I hear it from my landlord? And the answer is yes. <laughs> I will most certainly hear it from my landlord. And I could not go to my landlord and say, I don't know what happened. I just put my apartment in a giant hopper of other apartments. They will definitely say something to me. If, if somebody using my spot, uh, does something like that. And, and I, I just had a weird, I just had a question. Did you have a discussion with the season ticket holders about the situation? And, and people, for whatever reason, I would say it was about 65, 35, uh, the responses to it were, if I sell my ticket, it's no longer my responsibility who uses that seat. And I was, I was really surprised by that. See, I totally get your point. I think that was a really strong image that you evoked of, you know, someone renting your house and unfurling a really racist message. That said, I feel like it's punitive and extreme to punish the season ticket holders. And I think what this calls for is reform where, okay, we need to have a better process where we know who's sitting in our seats, where if you're a season ticket holder and you give up your seats um, to someone else through the secondary market, like they should give some kind of identification that we know who they are. Uh, we know who they're coming into the game. And I think that's the only way that we can really kind of enforce this. Of so everyone was asking, how are you going to enforce this lifetime ban? Well, if we have their names in some kind of registry, that's how you can enforce it. Um, yeah. You're right. Like maybe it is a little talking to the season ticket holders that said it could happen to anyone. And I, I don't know if that's particularly fair to them to punish them as well. I, I just, I don't know if they should be punished. Mm-hmm. I do think that when I, when I think back to when I was a kid and I was, uh, sitting fifth row at the Meadowlands on my mom's company's tickets, if I, you know, threw a, a, a cheeseburger in some dude's face, uh, you know, while sitting in those seats, mayhaps it would get back and they would be like, why did you let this, this <laughs> cheeseburger throw an idiot sit in those seats? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I found it to be, I, I, I found the reaction to it to be more interesting than any, any comment that I made about it, where it's almost like if your friend sits there and, and says a bunch of racial, racial stuff to Devante Smith Pelly, well, then it's your fault. But if you put your tickets in a blind uh, pool of tickets and someone else sits there, well, then you wipe your hands of it. And I just found that to be a bit of a, a weird logical leap. All right. Well, that's it's now, there seems to be regulated. All right. I, it, listen, regulation. Yeah. There you go. We're, All we're not I taking need is the, more regulation in this world. That's right. That's right. The non-libertarian hockey podcast uh, when it comes to uh, season ticket holders and, and, and who uses their seats. All right. It's time for our favorite segment. 
Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. You know, usually this segment uh, in which we talk about uh, media uh, and, and hockey and all that stuff on a weekly basis is a, a lighthearted one. Not so much this week. No. This is about Mike Milbury of NBC Sports, who drew fire on social media this week for attempting to add his two cents, as the Washington Post put it, on Slava Voinov, uh, the Olympic athlete of Russia defenseman, who, of course, uh, was sentenced to 90 days in jail on a misdemeanor charge of corporal injury to a spouse uh, for a domestic abuse case uh, banned by the NHL, uh, went back to the KHL, and now is playing for uh, OAR in the Olympics. Said Kenny Albert, here's Voinoff, who won two Stanley Cups with the Kings. He was arrested on domestic violence charges, subsequently suspended by the NHL, and now playing in the KHL, to which Mike Milbury said, he left a huge void in the Los Angeles Kings defense. Otherwise, he might they might have gone on to win more than the championships they did already. This was a special player, and an unfortunate incident left the Los Angeles Kings without a great defenseman. He said an unfortunate incident left the L.A. Kings without a great defenseman about Slava Voinov, who beat up his wife and went to jail. You know, when I used to cover football, one of the first big stories I did was on Greg Hardy, who had domestic violence uh, case against him. And I remember the DA in that case, we were talking, it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was like, it's difficult sometimes when sports writers try to write this because it's out of their realm and they don't know the appropriate language to use. And to that, I say, it's right. We're not properly trained to talk about this. So what we probably should do is just stick to Kenny Albert and say the facts as it is and move on. But to editorialize it like Melbury did just is really cringeworthy and obviously... um, I don't want to say it's unfortunate, but it's just it's bad. It's <laughs> bad. Should not say it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's not yeah. unfortunate. It's bad. I'm going <laughs> to declare that. Uh, Milbury uh, released a statement to the Washington Post when asked. Uh, he emailed it and said, after my colleague laid out the facts about Voinov, which included being arrested, suspended by the NHL, and leaving the U.S. to return to Russia, I provided the on-ice impact of his being thrown out of the league. As I said at the time when he was suspended, the league made the right call 100%. Again, like this is the thing that drives you nuts. Wait, wait, it's like it's like when we write about all this stuff, and and this was going on during all the Patrick Kane stuff that one year too. Like you'd read these articles about accusations and 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 police investigations and stuff, and at the end of the article, you you read like Patrick Kane had forty goals last year for the Chicago Blackhawks, and you're just like, no, 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 on ice does not matter. On ice matters nothing. No on ice, no nothing. Who cares? It is the most serious of serious stuff that happened with Slava Voinov, and the potential impact on the Los Angeles Kings dynasty is number, oh, I don't know, three billion on the list of important things related to this story. And, um, it's, it's, I mean, I know Milbury got called out. I know, like, the post wrote it up and a lot of people were giving him grief on social media, but I mean, this is, this is beyond the pale. This is, this is, this is worse than the time he called the Sedin twins Thelma and Louise, uh, during the Boston Vancouver Cup final. This is preposterously bad. It is equal. Oh, okay. Fair enough. They're, they're both very unfortunate situations. And we're going declarative. It's inappropriate. They're very inappropriate. Uh, all right. It's now time for, uh, puck headlines. Uh, Dateline Philadelphia. So the Flyers lost uh, Brian Elliott and Michael Neuverth for at least five weeks, so it would seem, based on the prognoses. So they go and trade some conditional draft picks for Peter Morazic of the Detroit Red Wings, a restricted free agent they could walk away from at the end of the season. Detroit picks up some salary. What say you about Morazic as the savior for the Flyers' goaltending situation? Honestly, the Flyers walked into a perfect situation where, like I said earlier, there's an abundance of backup goalies available right now. They didn't have to pay a high price. Here's a guy that has playoff experience, and let's face it, inexplicably, the Flyers are in playoff contention. They're probably <laughs> going to make the postseason. I can't explain why. Uh, so, you, so you get some assurance there, and you didn't have to give up that much. Um, also, the, um, the Red Wings have been shopping him for a while, I think since at least before the season began, maybe since last year's draft. And for them, what was it, a conditional third-round pick? Mm-hmm. Not bad like at a all. Conditional third, conditional fourth, all the conditions are... 
Just go to Bob McKenzie's Twitter feed, man. The, go the, to the Bob thing, McKenzie's the, Twitter feed. Yeah. It works out for everyone. The, the, th- the thing read like a choose-your-own-adventure as far as how the, <laughs> these, these draft picks work out. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think out of all the options, Mrazek might be the best. But, I mean, you take these two injuries and then Wayne Simmons being out for two to three weeks with the Flyers. Uh, they're tied with the Devils for 70 points. They're in pretty good playoff position right now. Uh, you just hope that they can keep their head above water. Cause they, like you said, they've played above expectation. Uh, they've earned the, the right to be in this playoff mix. You just hope that injuries don't, uh, end up uh, subverting that, uh, that situation. All right. Uh, Dateline Heart Trophy race. Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers in 58 games has 69 nice points right now. Third highest in the National Hockey League. <laughs> the Edmonton Oilers, well, they're 19 points out of a playoff spot as we do this show on Tuesday. The idea that Connor McDavid should get Hart Trophy consideration is something that I cannot get behind in any way, shape, or form. I feel like at the end of the day, his great season, all it does is decrease the chances that the Edmonton Oilers will end up with Rasmus Dahlin in the draft. <laughs> so he didn't uh, really help his team. Did not. He is the least <laughs> valuable player in my eyes. Uh, but there are people out there that believe that any player that means this much to his team insofar as what he's done versus what everybody else in the team has done, it doesn't matter if they're not a playoff team or a country mile out of a playoff spot. This player should still get Hart Trophy consideration. You know me. I'm an in-it-to-win-it guy. What say you? I agree. I totally agree. I could probably name seven guys that I would put above him. I would put probably three guys on the Tampa Bay Lightning's roster above him. Alex Ovechkin above him. Malkin, Kessel. I can keep going. So, no, you're not making the playoffs. You're not the MVP. Dateline Pyeongchang. We talked about Elizabeth Swanee a little bit off the top of the show. She's the Hungarian skier who scammed her way into an Olympic event by claiming a, a grand parental lineage and then ending up in a bunch of qualifying events that somehow just by showing up, she got qualified for the Olympics. She just didn't so have plus, to fall. That was her whole Yeah, deck. don't fall. I mean, yeah. honestly, great advice to kids. Don't yeah. fall. Also scam your way onto the Olympics if you want to be an Olympian. Uh, but the question is, Emily, what event, what country, who – who would you like to scam your way into the Olympics with in order to participate in what event? Yeah, well, I have to look at my heritage. Half Russian, quarter Polish, quarter Lithuanian. And when I was watching that opening ther- ceremony, I was like, the Lithuanians could use some more bodies there. So I think I'm going with them. Um, shout out to my grandma, Blanche. Mm-hmm. And um, the obvious answer here is not snowboarding because I detailed to you guys last week, my tailbone still hurts from falling so many times. I can't stay up. It has to be curling, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know this is the joke around here, but it looks so fun. It looks accessible. I think I could figure it out. There's a bar in Chicago that offers curling in the winter. I could practice there. Uh, I am uh, Ukrainian, and I feel okay. like Ukraine has a few people in the Olympics. It's, you know, it's cold or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm also Irish, mm. despite Wyshynski. Um, it's loud and on my mom's side. Thank you very much. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would go with the Irish. I would go with Ireland. And I would go with the luge because honestly, like laying down <laughs> and steering, I mean, it seems like something I got to accomplish. Just point me in the right direction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So luge. Dateline Wakanda. My car died, so I spent the entire weekend trying to find a new one. I don't recommend buying a car to anyone. Just ride bikes. I did not get to see Black Panther. Emily did get to see Black Panther, and this is her review. What I would say, it's not just a good superhero movie. It's just a good movie, period. It passes the Bechdel test with flying colors. The women characters are bad. The fight scenes are just enough. It's visually pleasing. It has the best villain of all time and Michael B. Jordan, who's complex and real and relatable. And it's as good as everyone's telling you it is. And I don't care if you're jaded and you're like, everyone on Twitter is wrong. You're going to enjoy it. I just love the fact that in 2018, we have an important socially and politically important superhero film with a majority black cast, a game changer, a film that people are taking their entire family to see because of how important it is to them. And the villain's name is Eric Killmonger. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. 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 Just give me that. Again, keep it, keep it, keep it comic book just a little bit. 
even in a movie like Black Panther. All right, it's now time for the ESPN and Ice rant line. Hey, Greg. Hey, Emily. Just wanted to uh, call in and complain about Olympic hockey. I know leading up that a lot of people, including Greg, were attempting to find positives in it with storylines of people who wouldn't normally play in the Olympics, but halfway through this Olympics, with so many great storylines and so many other sports, amazing games, I'm just blown away by how short-sighted the NHL really is. And I know it's been talked about and talked about, but honestly, it's just unbelievable that a league that will shoot itself in the foot every step it takes is willing to set aside playing on a world stage as a disgusting negotiating ship. Anyway, let's go USA. Yeah, go USA after that tirade against Greed and Avarice. Um, we, I wrote a big, long piece... I was on an Amtrak on Monday, sad time, uh, about uh, what my ideal Olympic format would be for the tournament. In short, under 25, steal the rules that they have in place for Olympic soccer, where you get three players that are overage, uh, so you're not completely, uh, you know, cutting the knees off of of teams like Slovenia and Slovakia, so they can get their Andrzej Kopitar, their Jaroslav Halak, or whomever to play on those teams. Make it U25 so you get a little bit of that Team North America magic from the World Cup while also making the NHL super happy because now the World Cup will be the only place, the exclusive home of all of the NHL players representing their countries and playing each other. So U25 Olympics, put the spotlight on the younger players. World Cup of Hockey becomes your former Olympic tournament of best on best. And that's it. Where do I sign? Yeah, I love it. And you know what's interesting of watching these Team USA games is that we don't really care about the James Wisniewski's. Well, firstly, he's not playing any five-on-five shifts. He's just there as a power play specialist. But kind of these washed-up players, they're not getting our attention. It's the four college kids that are stealing the show. Like, we're really excited to see youth. I think they had a missed opportunity for not inviting more of these guys like Casey Middlestadt and Adam Fox and... I love this as kind of a youth-only tournament, but, of course, I'd love it even more if it's a youth-only tournament, like you said, with Johnny Gaudreau and Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews. And I guess finally on the Olympic tip on the show, your prediction, USA-Canada women, we try to win our first gold since Nagano. I say we do it. I say the time is now. I say we will exercise the demon, and we will defeat the Canadians for Olympic gold. I agree with you. We are homers. We are going to do it. And we Americans uh, got it. And uh, I just want to thank you guys uh, for being homers with us. And if you are and you're a homer of ESPN on ice, you should subscribe on iTunes. You should also rate the show five stars and write a review and tell everyone why you love it. Obviously, it's for our sparkling personalities. And you can also leave a voicemail for us. Right, Greg? You can leave a voicemail on the rant line at 860-516-516. 1029. That's 860-516-1029. I'm sure at some point, Emily and I will break down what those numbers actually correlate for as far as letters and come up mm-hmm. with some wacky acronym. Uh, but a, for now, help to remind it. 860-516-1029. Yes. That's it. K-A-R-S cars for kids. <laughs> oh, I was going, oh yeah, that works too. I'm not a great right. singer, guys. All right. That's ESPN and Ice for this week. I'm Greg Wyshynski. I'm Emily Kaplan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.